Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. I'm Julie Freeman. I'm going to give you an overview of the Data's Culture programme that the ODI run. Um, so just to, to give you a bit of context, the ODI's mission statement is to catalyse the evolution of an open data culture. And uh, that means not just in the cultural way, but also just means across the board everywhere. So it's about changing behaviour. It's about how can open data um, provoke change and how can change help open data be prevalent in the, in the, in the way that we work and the way that society functions. The cultural data aspects of this fall into kind of three categories. There's data as an art material, which is data literally used by artists, designers, other creatives as a material, something that is malleable, something that is experimentable with, and that can be used to create artworks in, in all different genres. And there's also data that is cultural media, so that's the media itself, the BBC archives, moving images, video, photography, all that kind of stuff. And then there's data about the cultural sector. So, you know, how do we, how often do we visit museums? You know, what do we like to see there? How do we view culture? And, you know, what is that exchange? So there's three kind of key components to this um, area that we work in. I'm particularly interested in data as an art material, and that's one of the key things that the Data as Culture art programme deals with. The other aspects that we work with as the ODI as a whole, um, but particularly the exhibitions where we're working with artists, we were asking questions like, you know, what, what is data? Particularly what is open data, but what is data? What does it mean? What are its meanings? How is it used? And what is the impact on society? You know, what is happening around us and where is data um, having an impact on that? Uh, as the data, as more data is opened up, which is part of the ODI's mission, you know, we must not just open up data, but we have to use it. And many people have to use it in lots of different ways because the information it holds should be reflected back to us from many different angles. It's one thing having a set of, of data out there um, and then another thing having it being analysed by a statistician from a particular sector but what is important is that we look at it from you know, a whole panopticon of angles so that we can see what it means and by doing this we're exploring and exposing the processes that happen along that trajectory so the releasing of the data the analysis of the data and the representation visualisation of the data and by exploring these processes then we can progress forwards and we can move forwards and we can start to understand what it is that we're doing. So the first, the Data as Culture 2012 was our first kind of foray into this and it was the first decision that Gavin Starks, CEO, made at the ODI when it first started. So the programme is 18 months old, the ODI itself is 18 months old so it's been very much a part of their their mission going forwards. And we decided to do an open call for artists. Um, it was a very tight turnaround of, of just 13 days. Um, and we had 89 respondents from over 20 countries, which was really amazing. And it just goes to show the interest of, of artists working in this area. Out of those, we selected nine proposals, um, three more than we intended to, but the, the quality was very high. 
We selected nine. Three of those were new commissions that the ODI helped to make happen, and six were existing works. Um, from that, we had international coverage in the press, the Wall Street Journal. Um, I talked about it at the TED conference in LA, so we got a really broad audience for the, to, to, to show the kind of data art that we were exhibiting. And one of the key things with the, the, the initial exhibition was that we wanted to commission work that wasn't screen-based, so we were looking at physical pieces. We had kinetic sculptures, there's the vending machine, which is still in the kitchen, um, there was a mural that was painted on the wall. So these are all sort of challenging what people's perception of what data art could be because they weren't really necessarily expecting an, an object or an experience. They may be expecting a visualisation, which is something that has its own place, can be, is very different. We had thousands of visitors through the space to see the works. The um, ODI, when, the, when, the pe when people from the ODI go out and present the company for whatever reason, then they generally include artworks from the, from the collection. They talk about the culture of the ODI itself, which the artworks feed into. And this means that the, the audience who've seen some of the artworks has been very broad. It's been pre presented at the, um, the Cabinet War Rooms and the Churchill Room, to the Cabinet Office people at the World Bank, at Aspen, all these kind of very sort of corporate places that wouldn't necessarily encounter the kind of work that we're trying to promote here. Um, We've had a big response from cultural leaders, which is really important to us to not just be seen to be um, working in the sort of commercial field, but also to have some gravitas in the art world. And um, we had one, um, the ex-art uh, director from, from Lighthouse in Brighton, say to us, well, you know, you've started something, and what are you going to do next? And subsequently she was involved in the next programme. So it's really, it did make a difference. Um, we were pleased that some of the artists that we selected were, also went on to be winners of the Japan Media Arts Festival, which means that we're looking at the right kind of artists who are being recognised internationally. Um, one of the works we commissioned by Stanza has now gone on to be exhibited in Norway, where he's got a solo show. Um, and it was nice to be part of making that happen for him. And we're also, the whole programme is a finalist in the Data 2014 uh, Summit, and we've been shortlisted for an Arts and Business Award, which um, we won't know if we've won yet until a few weeks' time. So we were, this is really, it's really great. It's had such a massive impact on the, the ODI itself, but also externally. So for the next, next exhibition, we decided not to have an open call for artists, but an open call for curators, which is a generally um, a more of an unusual idea. But we wanted to keep this kind of open way of doing things. We had 48 respondents, again, from all over the world, some really quite well-known curators in the field. Um, and we did this in partnership with Lighthouse in Brighton and with Future Everything in Manchester. And what we, the reason behind that was to take it out of London and spread it further afield so we get a larger audience. Future Everything um, is a festival where they have a conference and, and an art programme and Lighthouse in Brighton are um, a, a sort of digital culture centre, and they have a lot of events that really align with what we're trying to do here. Um, we appointed Shiri Sharmi, who's going to be speaking to you in a minute, and she had the strongest proposal um, that we felt aligned with what we were doing, and is obviously a very capable curator. So we 
um, along with Shiri, she chose six artists. We've got eight works altogether, and three of them are new commissions. We're very pleased to have the new work coming along as well as existing work, because it means that we're helping to you know, spread the wealth, helping to facilitate artists in making new work. Um, and these are the artists. Shiri's going to talk you through the artworks now, and then um, I'll come back and round off in a bit. So, Shiri. So I'm going to run through the work in, in the exhibition in Daito's Culture, which uh, some of them are here, so you'll be able to see them right in, in the office when, when I finish talking and, and we finish the conversation. Um, but some of them, as Julie said, were in, in other places, and, and very much part of the project was it's not in one physical location. It's in three different cities. It's online, uh, so the, the spread is quite wide. Um, so I'm just going to run through it, I suppose. This is uh, the first piece. It's um, the, the contraptions that you can see out there by Yoha, which are um, a, a couple and a sort of artist duo. And for this project, they, uh, they were invited by Bristol City Council to work with data, with their spending data. Uh, and what they said when they, when they kind of encountered the actual data, which is available to everybody online, is that, yeah, it's open and it's accessible, but you can't read it. It's just a lot of numbers. And they, they thought that the best way to, um, to share the data or to kind of uh, manifest it was through physical objects. Uh, so here you've got the uh, spud gun. This is the book stabber. And I think we can see, is it on the film? Yeah, so if you hit escape. Yeah, let's see it. Yeah. Uh, you can watch it just for a few seconds. Instead of engagement, connecting with the work and having fun with it and enjoying it Come and on. suddenly clicking, oh, this is what data does. Oh, okay, right. <coughs> this is the book stabber, which is just there. And normally, like, we use the word contraption to think about technologies that have kind of gone into these are all machines that operate uh, using the, the the data that is available. Every expenditure of over £500 will cause them through a whole series of pneumatic contraptions to actually operate and move. So you can fill the data through potatoes being shot um, and essentially through your bottom as you sit on the data riser and you go up and down. <laughs> so, you know, £500 spent on stationery would cause that to happen. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stop it now. It's hard to describe the contract. Yes. Uh, and again, have a feel for them outside. You can touch them. They're, they're physical, clanky, colourful objects. Um, this is just an example. You can hardly read it. This is the data. So this is what you get if you look on Britain City Council, uh, open data expenditure of £500. Um, the next piece by Yoha uh, that we didn't show in London, uh, we showed it in Manchester, Future Everything, uh, again, taking a massive amount of, of data, this is the Afghanistan war diaries released by WikiLeaks. So this is secret information. It was not meant to be available to all of us. Um, but it has been uh, you know, exposed and made available. And, and when you, what, what Yoha had done is, is sort of they exposed the working of the, the machine. This data was written by soldiers as they go out and, and do what they do in Afghanistan and, and Iraq and Pakistan. 
uh, but it was meant to be read by machine and analyzed by machine. And they're talking about the way we think about war is, is the way we, you know, we apply to the action that war. Uh, you step in and you're essentially inside the machine. So there's three screens with the, um, sorry, with the actual um, files that, that were filed by the soldiers and the officers in, in different places. I mean, it's all jargon, and you know, it's not again, it's not meant for us. It's meant for machine to to, be, to read. Um, and, and of course, all this machine read kind of data uh, describes stuff that happens to real people in real places. It just kept away from us, and, and that's one way of doing it. Um, this is a piece by Sam Meach. There is a, another version of it outside, and if you look behind you, you can see the Eight Hours banner. Um, Sam Meach is a completely different kind of data. He's invited people, uh, probably like many of us who are uh, freelancing in the creative industry, people who um, would normally not work eight hours, um, and he invited people to, to log in, to clocking the hours using punch cards, um, virtual and physical, uh, in the same way that people would have uh, you know, punched in and out, clocked in and out in, in the factories. And he's referring to the sort of late Victorian movement to regulate working hours where people would work 16, 17 hours a day, um, very much like we do, oh, at least me. Um, <coughs> And, and you can see, uh, when you look at it closely, uh, the pattern that he's created is um, using all the hours worked outside of the eight hours contract that we're supposed to have. So these are the punch cards. He's done that using um, so, um, knitting machines, sort of domestic knitting machines that indeed also use uh, punch cards. So again, the, sort of the medium has been transferred uh, using our work patterns into transferring them into knitting patterns and then into this big banner, which is very much in the tradition of the um, trade union banners. Uh, in in uh, Manchester, and again in London, and possibly also in Brighton, uh, Sam would do workshops, so you can turn your own work pattern into knitting pattern and, and sort of participate in, in this ongoing project. Um, Watching the Watchers by James Bridal uh, is on display on the other side of this wall, so when we finish, have a look at the actual prints. These are uh, presented as very traditional sort of gallery prints. These are actually um, shots from, from Google Earth. So this is photography without a photographer, but we all know where they're taken from. Um, the, the sort of a network of satellites that, that covers the whole world. However, these are uh, images of places that were supposed to be kept out of sight. These are military drone bases. These are the places where secret operations take place, um, and they are not meant for us to see. James is exposing them in a, a much wider kind of body of work, looking at drones and um, and sort of military operations, uh, secret military operations. By doing by exposing them, uh, he's saying, well, the information is out there. He hasn't taken those shots. He just these are screen grabs from Google Earth. We can see them. The, the information is, is there. If uh, w the, the only way that they are secret, if is we agree that they are still secret. So. By doing that, he's putting the information back on us. So the data is out there. He hasn't created it. He's just sharing it and saying, you know, secrecy is something that we agree to. Um, this is where it comes from. So I just Googled that last night for the talk. It's um, somewhere in, uh, in Afghanistan. Um, so we can all see it. Uh, sit here, uh, sitting here amongst you. I think you can spot them uh, with their pink ties. 
um, looking at data from a, from a different uh, point of view, that they're looking at the moment of exchange of sort of ownership and the trust in, in sharing data. Um, the, the pink sheet method is, is divided into three stages of uh, collection, processing, and uh, sort of analyzing and sharing the information. In Manchester, they kind of set up a uh, consultation area where they were gathering information, personal data from people, and, and examining that moment of asking for data and, and receiving data. Uh, we were just saying earlier, the data wasn't verified in any way, so we don't know if it's real, if it's true information, uh, yet the, that, that moment of exchange has been performed. Um, you can see them. I think somebody described something between Carphone Warehouse and NatWest. Sort of <laughs> this, this kind of data collection uh, exchange that we all used to, and we give our data all the time, and uh, and we don't know where it's going always. And and they were very honest about we don't know either. Um, but when we finish, you can see them processing the data here at the ODI. They've got a desk um, that they're using today. The third uh, installment of this would be in. Uh, in Brighton at Lighthouse on the 3rd of July where they will be sharing their findings. And I think they can answer questions if, uh, if you have got any. Uh, so this is the form that's been used. It's, uh, you can't really see it on its glory, like I can see it. Um, but when you're faced with it, you, you recognize it instantly. It's this, gosh, yet again, um, loads of boxes that are not necessarily very accessible, and, and this is the performance in Manchester. Um, right behind you on the wall here, the set of prints by James Brooks. The data that uh, James was using for this piece is possibly the most available. These are phone numbers, and, and if you look at the prints, you'll see them kind of probably better. Um, these are phone numbers of uh, European embassies in London, so you can find them in a telephone book if anybody's using that still, or, <coughs> or online. Um, so James is using data in the most abstract way. He's actually using it as visual information uh, and, and, and creating a story that wasn't there. So each one of these are sort of um, a made-up exchange, you know, whichever the French embassy is calling the Swedish embassy, um, and so on. And he's using data as, as a visual um, kind of construct and, and creating this pretty abstract, sort of modernist-looking uh, images. So everything so far was, was completely physical. Nothing was digital and very much in the kind of same spirit as the, the previous data as culture um, exhibition. Um, a new commission for, for, this, for this year was the catalogue. And uh, alongside the, the physical catalogue, there is a book that you can get from the ODI, presumably. Um, I've commissioned uh, Paolo Cirio, who is a, a kind of web artist who's working a lot with data. And, um, and his sort of challenge was to, to come up with a catalogue of all the works in the exhibition, but a catalogue that actually reflects on, its, on the data generated by the show and, um, and, and kind of finding a way to, to break that down. And what he created is a catalogue that eats itself almost. So he's looking at, at the information that we put out there through the show, the list of works and the artists and their biographies and all that. But he's also looking at you looking at it. So as you can see, you're being completely tracked um, 
when you are actually looking. You have to agree to be tracked uh, and for your data to be collected. Uh, this is what you get. This is me uh, last night watching, uh, you know, looking on the pages to do with um, James Bridle's piece. Um, so I have been tracked throughout all my um, exchange, all my interaction with the catalogue. Uh, the catalogue is following me, and what it does then, it takes my data and creates a new piece out of it. I don't know how much you can see. So this is a sort of, it transmutes, um, transmutate, transmute the, uh, the image using your own data. So it's, it's an interactive catalogue that reflects back at you. It's, it's um, unlike a static catalogue. Um, I think that's it. Am I good on time? So, yeah, perfect. Thanks, Julie. So I'll just have a, before you head off, yes, sorry. I'm going to just take it back one. Yes. And um, I just had a few questions about the um, some of the works and your role as a curator. And I wondered if you could maybe explain a bit how, about how you thought the works sit together as a collection. So sort of your curatorial concept for, for choosing those six artists. Okay, so um, I suppose without knowing uh, the whole history of the previous Dada's culture, um, I decided straight away that I'm not going to do any sort of screen-based work. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying it's not interested, but I'm not interested in it personally. Or I, or I thought it would not be enough of a challenge for me as a curator uh, to look at data in that way. So I was, I was looking for physical manifestations, and that's because I'm interested in and what is it that artists do physically or you know that can be performatively or that can be some sort of intervention in the world uh, rather than on screen uh, so in terms of looking for work this is what I was looking for um, and then I suppose that together with my own interest in what does it mean you know what's the meaning of data in the political context so I was looking for that for these works that were not only looking at um, you know the, the 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 mechanics of of kind of collecting data and all that, but um, a sort of a wider meaning, and that's about ownership mainly, about agency. Uh, I think in my curatorial statement there is this kind of mentioning of of that tension between sort of secret agents, which is part of that, and kind of personal agency, uh, who owns data and, and who can control it. Yeah, I think that's a really it's a really interesting mix of different ways of working. I mean, one of the things I remember that um, Yoha said when they were talking about their pneumatic contraptions was that they realised when they were working with Bristol City Council that the power of data comes from boredom after they'd sat and scrolled through 20,000 lines of a CSV file. Yeah. I mean, so that, 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 for me that was quite a sort of comedic way of looking at things. Mm. Do you want to say a bit more about the artist's different approaches to... And I think you have taken it sort of a step further. I mean, um, Invisible Airs, which is the, the set of works out here, is, is ridiculous. I mean, it's yeah. completely <laughs> ridiculous. You sit on a thing or, you know, you watch a, a book being stabbed and that, that kind of, that is the manifestation of that specific set of data. Um, and yeah, and I think what they were saying is, officially, Bristol City Council have done the right thing. They've opened their data it's out there, politically they're, they're good, but it's meaningless, it's still completely inaccessible. Um, I could never read it, it would mean nothing to me, so, so as a citizen, um, you know, I would still not be able to know what they're doing with my money. 
and, and, and that's a good way of kind of making it um, visible, making it accessible, but also a little bit taking the piss, which is what I liked about them. <laughs> and, and there is a little bit of that in all the work, actually, throughout. I mean, there's a bit of kind of being funny. Um, I suppose Fekir are taking it to a different place where they kind of presume the, the role of the really official kind of data collectors, those people with the ties and the badges, but again the information and that was also in the previous work in the Ministry of Measurement the information itself is not um, you know verified is kind of almost meaningless uh, it is the exchange it is that that gesture that they're interested in um, again with, with the other works as well I, I suppose we, I haven't mentioned one piece because it, it doesn't exist yet. Oh yes, and, yeah. the, and that's that's another new commission that uh, sorry, I've uh, James Bridal, um, and maybe that's a good time to mention it. Um, James has been, like I said, been working on this uh, sort of very wide-reaching project, uh, documenting, tracking, and so on, um, military drone bases and kind of how they're used and and who's using them and, and what the effect and sort of all the stuff that is hidden from sight. And or that we agree that is hidden anyway. Uh, so for for this project, I again kind of challenged him to okay, you've got this massive database, and the database is kind of interactive and it checks itself all the time and it kind of measures things against each other. I said okay, let's measure it against something, something else, and seeing that we are about one street, two streets away from the city of London, just here, uh, I suggested well, let's look at at what's happening there. Let's compare this database of military drone finance to database of city finance don't know what's going to come out of that um, and again have some sort of physical manifestation so James is working on that and that will be uh, probably launched in the summer uh, at Lighthouse and London uh, yet to be decided it's not ready yet but again this is a very serious uh, piece of research and when we spoke to journalists about it they were like whoa it's hot potato um, but it's going to be again manifested in some way that is that is physical. You can touch it, you can poke through it, you can engage with it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he comes up with. That. It's like Armageddon. Yeah. And so I have one more question about how, through your experience of working with with um, data and you know, the artists working with data in different ways and your involvement with the ODI, do you think you've it's changed your view of what data is? Have you become more aware of? Have you become more fearful or more positive about it or uh, I mean I suppose as a curator this was not my focus and I know that probably here again a room full of people who uh, feel passionately about data and different than you guys um, this was not my focus and there was no sort of material that I was I've been working with before so it definitely has opened up a whole new universe for me which I find fascinating um, and, and it, it has changed the way I look at things, not just in terms of my practice as a curator, but as, yeah, like you said, as a person. I mean, I have probably uh, unwisely changed my password yesterday uh, <laughs> because I have been reading about stuff that is happening with data oh, online. Yeah, hardly. Um, and we were saying just earlier today, there's, every day there's sort of something new that, that is extremely <laughs> relevant to this kind of work. So again, this kind of secret agent and... and personal agency is is a constant kind of thread. Um, I will probably work more with data. 
So, yeah, you know, success. <laughs> so just, I just want to put up that last slide. Thanks, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. These are just some of the things we've got coming up in the future. I'll leave them up there while we do the questions. Um, but yeah, we've got a whole rolling programme of things, and this will be added to o over time, hopefully. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.